Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find two ways to help support the show. You can purchase the albums that you hear via the Amazon links that are in the notes for each show. And there's also a donate button so you can give directly and securely. The show is free. You don't have to do that, but uh, it's greatly appreciated if you do. And join the other folks who have already started supporting the show directly. Thanks so much. My guest today is guitarist and banjo player Brandon Seabrook. He's got a trio recording called Seabrook Power Plant that opens with a tribute to Peter Dennis Blandford Townsend. My guest is Brandon Seabrook. Uh, he and his uh, trio have a new album on the Loyal label called Seabrook Power Plant, uh, which I'm not even going to attempt to describe. I'm just going to tell you that I, I absolutely love this record. It's not lo- really like anything I'd ever heard before, and I want to hear more of it, and I'm really excited to have uh, Brandon on the show. Thanks so much for being here, man. Oh, all right. Uh, I want to start right off and just ask you, um, what are some of the kinds of music that were important to you in your, your formative years? What what kinds of things oh, really kind of made your heart race? Well, uh, pretty much, you know, rock music was was it for me, really. You know, uh, I have to say, <laughs> you know, Van Halen and uh, Led Zeppelin, that kind of obvious stuff, you know. And I also was, in, you know, got into jazz in an early age, too. Probably, like, some of that Electric Miles stuff. I guess more jazz, it was more kind of, like, based in rock music, loud you know, yeah, that's it. I mean, that got me. I mean, I played guitar. I started playing guitar when I was like eight or nine. And I'm pretty sure it was Van Halen that made me want to start playing guitar. Yeah, then I got into jazz guitarists, and Jim Hall was a big influence. And uh, then I got into the SST stuff, like the Minutemen, Husker Du, Meat Puppets. That, those those guys were a big influence in the in the beginning. Now I have to uh, I have to break in there on the Jim Hall because Jim Hall, yeah. at least to me, is at the opposite end of the spectrum from everything else that you just named, just in yeah. terms of guitar. Uh, get, how did, he's how actually did that pretty. Out? He's pretty. Uh, I don't know. He's pretty. Uh, I can't find a word to describe him. He's pretty uh, uh, loud and dirty and out of tune, and on a lot of those uh, records he plays on, <laughs> kind of drew me to him. You know, he's. It's a little different than the other jazz guitarists that I would, people showed me. You know, he kind of stuck out because he was, especially in that live at the half note by Art Farmer. I think that was the, the first 
one of the first ones I heard from him, and he's just like really raging on that that album. I think for a ja- you know jazz album or whatever. Now, how did the uh, how did the banjo, which by the way you you play on a fair amount of this record, how did the oh, banjo yeah. enter the picture? It doesn't seem like a kind of a natural progression from the music that you've just named, but maybe there yeah, are right. Well, I've always been into uh, into drummers a lot too, you know, and I play the tenor banjo, which is a little bit different than the five string banjo, which probably most banjo listeners are used to, you know, like uh, Tony Triska and Bela Fleck and. It's five strings. It has a drone string. It's like it has a lot more sustain than the tenor banjo. What I play, so well, kind of like what was attractive to me about the tenor banjo was it was like it's virtually it has no sustain, kind of like drums, you know, like a snare drum without the snares or whatever. So I, I, my friend had one, and I was just banging around on it and playing it, and just started taking it to gigs and kind of like working it in into bands I was playing with, and I, I was just really attracted to that, like no sustain kind of thing <laughs> i guess what what does that cause you to do the fact that you can't really sustain notes well, how does that it affect comes with a different play? set of techniques it's like a lot of right hand uh this technique of tremoloing when you're uh with your wrist you know that and you know full chords sort of strumming lots of lots of strumming and really in using your right hand a lot and you you also can you know do picking and you can sound like a five string or you know bring some of those techniques in too but that was sort of just like that that full sound sort of like a drum set it always sounded kind of like a drum set to me or i had that capability you know but plus the guitar you can sustain that forever you know that can just but this is like the complete opposite And one thing I was really noticing uh, on this record, there's a lot of there's a lot of intricate parts on this record. But even in the even in the bits that aren't kind of intricate unison lines, the the three of you are so rhythmically integrated. It's just really fantastic to listen to. I mean, you you sound yeah. like you approach um, even the lead melodic instrument really as an integral part of the rhythm section. Is that an accurate reading? Yeah, totally. No, definitely. Yeah, I think we all have the same kind of approaches like that kind of like drummers in a way you know it's like 
uh, I think most of the momentum from the songs on the album, on that album, come from the rhythm, definitely from the rhythmic side of things. I mean, it's not like <laughs> the most melodic music or whatever, but uh, yeah, I guess that I guess that they reacted to, the, especially the banjo tunes. You know, hearing that sort of like machine gun sound, rhythmic thing coming at them, it's kind of adapted their own styles to it. Although I was pretty specific with the parts, you know. Uh, it wasn't basically like play, I, you know, I kind of get specific, especially with the drums, you know, what's to what's happening when, you know. But, well, first of all, I should have gone this far without even mentioning the other people who are on the record, so will uh, you tell folks uh, who the other trio mates are? Oh, yeah, well, it's Tom Blankart on the bass and uh, Jared Seabrook, my brother, on the drums. And now so I want to... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say I wanted to to follow up on what you had just said right before that about uh, being specific uh, about yeah. the the parts. So um, this stuff is so intricate. Had had the trio had a lot of chances to play this music live or at least rehearse? Well, time? not that much. I mean, we were only together six months before we made that album. But, wow. Uh, we did get a chance. We did get a lot of time. To, to play it live not that much actually we probably only played like seven or eight gigs but right before we went into the studio we uh, rehearsed a lot so we were able to and those guys are, I'm really lucky they, they learn stuff really fast and they're they're into it and like and uh, so we were lucky we pulled it off pretty pretty quickly actually yeah we did that really fast but we're getting ready to record another one it's been we've been working on material more because it's a little bit more involved we've been having our time now. We kind of made that first one pretty quickly. We thought we had to. You know. Man, it sure doesn't sound like it. <laughs> oh, well, <that's laughs> you know, good. I mean, I guess that's the idea. But uh, yeah, yeah I guess, I guess, yeah. I never thought of it like that, but I was just glad we finished it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, cool, that's done. Uh, I don't know if this is a stupid question or not, but but playing uh, in the banjo in a setting yeah. like this, how do you even just kind of compete from the level of of kind of a volume standpoint? Right? Yeah, well, that's hard. That's I've I've been I think I finally found a way to do it with. It's all about like mic placement on the banjo through an amp. It's hard. It's definitely challenging, and my brother is really loud. And but that's good. Loud drums are the best. But uh. Yeah, well, basically, I play it through an amplifier and through an ambient mic, kind of on the on the head, so I have both of those sounds. But yeah, it's just taking a lot of practice. It's taking playing the banjo live a lot in different situations. It just takes practice, you know. It's like a, it's like playing with pedals or playing with, you know. You definitely have to have reinforcement, like a good good amp, and it's challenging. But yeah. And do you find that uh, now that you've you've concentrated uh, on the banjo, certainly not exclusively, but now that you have put a lot of time into your technique yeah. on the banjo, do you find that that there are things that uh, that carry over, or do you find your guitar technique uh, impacted in some way by the banjo? Yeah, playing? definitely. Well, the the tremoloing technique, which is definitely come the right hand technique, has definitely affected my uh, guitar playing. You know, I'm will not you explain doing what that, that is, Brandon? I don't I don't know what that means. That is sort of 
tremolo, you know, like mandolins. God, I'm terrible at explaining this stuff. It's Where you play a lot of notes rapidly so that you can yeah, make a longer you, you, tone? you play one note, say one note, but you're on your right hand, you're, uh, you're picking very quickly. Okay. And it's just, it's generating sustain, basically, because there is no sustain. If you were to play like one note, it would last like, uh, like not even a second sustain, you know, if you fretted a note. So the tremoloing is just a repetition of that note by using your right hand trilling, I guess, on your right hand or very fast picking. Got so it. Can, that note gets sustained. So you can also throw a million notes in there while you're doing that. But that 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 is something I never really did on guitar before. And uh, that definitely came over. And also sort of the finger style, the, the picking style that you hear more on five-string banjo and less on tenor banjo. But it's definitely transferable. That That's kind of been getting into my guitar playing more, too. With some of the new stuff we're doing, it's kind of more like, more like that. Brandon, is there uh, is there some? It, it's it seems obvious from the song titles, but I don't want to read anything in that isn't there. But it, it seems like there's some political content uh, in this. Yeah, record. I guess. So. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a while there I was obsessed with uh, Vietnam War era books. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I guess some of them come from that from that era, you know. 1955 to, I guess, Cold War era. I was kind of, like, into that for a while. Yeah. I've asked other people who make instrumental music and who make instrumental music with some sort of political bent to it, um, whether, uh, or how they even found that possible other than song titles. And I don't it was that even your intention, or is it just... Yeah, well, some of it, yeah, just... I guess that... I guess it's sometimes, you know, the last thing that happens are the song titles, you know. I can't say that the narrative was there from the beginning, you know, uh, on, on all of them. But uh, I just had this idea. You know, it, it's they were kind of in there from, from the beginning, I guess. I mean, I, I felt that some of those titles were appropriate, you know, for, for the songs. And they had been titles that I had been thinking about, you know, words and it's kind of some dark sounds. God, I'm terrible at descri- describing this stuff. This <laughs> well, is really bad. It's, yeah, describing music is, I mean, it's, it's kind of a pointless endeavor anyway. So, uh, I guess like, just like fatalistic stuff, you know, and some of the, some of the music sounds like that, you know. Uh, what, uh, what kind of places when you, uh, w- either when you guys were getting ready for this record or since, yeah. uh, what kind of venues um, does this music seem to work best at? Well, we, we've been figuring that out. You know, we played at a lot of venues. You know, I played, I, I guess I play a lot of like jazz venues or smaller venues, but we've been, we've played at all kinds of venues. We played at really small places. We played at, you know, large rooms. We played in like a lot of rock clubs. We played everywhere. I think the music is pretty malleable. I mean, we can, we can kind of do our set at a lot of different kinds of places, you know. We, we like to be able to play it loud. That's our favorite kind of way to do it, but it doesn't always work, so. Sometimes you have to play quieter. It's kind of fun, you know. Yeah, this, uh, I mean, this strikes me as very interesting music to attempt to play quietly. I mean, this. Yeah, we could do it. You know, sometimes we rehearse without amplification of the banjo stuff, and we've been joking around like we can like play it on the street. You know, <laughs> we, can, we can like busk it, which we probably we could, you know. But <laughs> yeah, this would sound great in a subway station. In a subway, yeah, it might in sound pretty subway, amazing. Actually, <laughs> it might sound pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, I think it, it's really helped us like really helps you learn the music kind of playing it in all different kinds of spots but i think now you know at that point we'd only been together for short time so we were playing anywhere but now we're kind of like trying to be a little bit more selective about the kind of venue we play you know we definitely need like good you know sound reinforcement and like 
stuff like that. You know, like to play, well, we can play a little bit louder. Yeah, no, it makes makes sense. It, you know, you mentioned uh, the the forthcoming album, the the second album. Um, yeah, is is a little more involved. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean well, by? That? Yeah, well, I think the compositions or the the songs are just a little bit more developed than the fir- than the first album. Yeah, I just had more time to think about it. You know. So maybe I don't know, more a little more intricate or more compositional things happening. I guess I hate that word, but maybe less, even less improvising, more songs and. And is some of that a function of the band just getting tighter and more acclimated as a unit? Too? Yeah, I definitely. I know what I want to do a little bit more. Definitely. I mean, it's just, it's the same kind of sound. You know, we're not changing our sound any, but I guess it's a little bit more develop from my, you know, executing stuff more and being comfortable, you know, playing with my own band and stuff. So I haven't really done that much, so... That's actually a, a perfect segue. I want to make sure folks um, know some of the other things that you've been involved with. Will you just give people uh, kind of a sketch of some of the other projects that you've been involved oh, with? Oh, let's see. Uh, I've done a lot of Sideman stuff. I play with my friend Jeremy Dean, saxophone player. I've played with uh, Frank London, this trumpet player, world music guy. I've played with uh, a lot of people around New York, you know, uh, other jazz or improvised music people uh, played with well Tom Bit Blankard the bass player a lot I never am sure how to pronounce the first word uh, that is followed by the word dream in the band that you were in before oh Naftulian Dream yes yeah, thank yeah. you I, I play with those guys a lot in Boston I, I, at one point I was playing like a lot of Eastern European folk music like Klezmer and stuff and I played with this other guy Paul Brody in Berlin a lot he, he did a lot of touring at one point yeah, just like a lot of Sideman stuff, you know. Uh, I played with uh, Peter Evans is the guy I played with a little bit. So, yeah, just a bunch of people around Brooklyn. Yeah, and just... But, and, you know, I'm trying to get it starting to, like, get away from that more and uh, try to do my own thing, you know, my own band. I imagine that uh, just recognizing the names of the people that you just mentioned and, and how diverse they are, that um, all of that experience, now that you're striking out more kind of a, as a as a leader, must be yeah. pretty great to have in your oh, yeah, bag definitely. of tricks. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
seeing how they all process their 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 bands and what they did as leaders and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you learn a lot. You learn how to like how to lead a band and how not to. <laughs> it's interesting, you know. Like I'm not going to do that, or that's a good idea, or I'm going to make sure that I always take care of people, stuff like that. You know? just, yeah, but there's a lot of as a leader, there's a lot of stuff that's there's a lot of brain power and energy that's taken up that. As a side man, you can kind of like you can kind of plug into the music, and like you're almost like all about the music, and you're just kind of a little bit more free in a way. At least for me, when you're a band leader, there's like 30 percent of that that's kind of taken away because you have to like you know do everything else, which is kind of fun. It's kind of cool though, you know. I'm getting used to it. Yeah, it seems like in this. I've heard a lot of like you know people who have been. Uh, really successful band leader or we're just you know have their own band, band leader or whatever that means but you know they say they sometimes I hear people say they can't they can never play as well as they do as a band leader as a side man but I guess that's kind of a jazz thing yeah and it in seems like in this day and age the uh, the kind of self self promotion and self management thing takes up I mean there's just if you're not going to be serious about doing that it seems like it's almost impossible to make anything happen just yeah, like, you got it. Yeah, that then all that stuff. Yeah, you got to definitely. You have to get to really be on top of that. Like, are there some uh, some upcoming things that uh, where folks can go uh, check out this band or other things? Well, that you're the next gig we have is until June. We're playing at this. It's actually funny. This George Ween Jazz Festival thing that's happening in New York in June. Wow, it's like it's happening for a week all over the place in in New York and I think in Manhattan and Brooklyn. And we're playing a night at at Zebulon on June 17th, but that's far away. But right now we're just kind of rehearsing a lot, which is kind of more where we're at, you know. Uh, don't really have anything and anything you, booked. You guys have been at Zebulon before, right? Yeah, we play there a lot. We like we like playing there. Yeah, it seems like a, a nice place for what you're doing. Yeah, they're nice to us. They, You know, it's fun. They have us back a lot. We figured out how to sound good in there, which is kind of hard, but... I think we figured it out. <laughs> That's great. Putting the bass through the PA and turning it up really loud. Uh, that reminds me of uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about. There are some moments um, on uh, the first Seabrook Power Plant record where there there's what sounds to me like maybe bowed bass with effects. Is that is that well? That's somewhere? actually well, yeah. There's one. Well, the second well the second song Ho Chi Minh Trail. That's actually bowed double tracked banjo. Oh no, kidding! With, like that's banjo at the end. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people think that's the bass. But I just couldn't figure out what it could be, so I figured that's yeah, the only yeah, instrument yeah, I could yeah. think of that had sustained tones in your band, so I figured it must be that. Wow, that's yeah, really fascinating. On the last song, there's a bunch of bass bowing, but it might not stick out as much. And then there's like a bass solo kind of in the middle that has a sawing kind of thing going on. But Yeah, no, that's a banjo. A lot of people think that's the bass. 
gotten that a lot in a lot of reviews. They're like, you know, bass bowing, but I guess it could sound like a bass in a really high register. Yeah, it, it, none of it really made very much sense to me. So now, it, now it all makes perfect sense that you say it's actually yeah, it's a like banjo. two or three banjos. I think with some through some delay. You know, it's like a slapback delay and did that. Yeah. The uh, I'm going to display my banjo ignorance here, but it seems oh. like the strings on a banjo would be thick enough that bowing might be a bit of a, a challenge to do nimbly. Is that not? No, it's like I use like a small scale bow and just re- put a lot of rosin on it. And yeah, the high strings, the high string on the banjo, it's like a ten gauge. It's pretty light, so it it actually works really well. Cool. Yeah, it sounds sounds fantastic. Well, this, uh, as I said before, I mean, I, I love this record. I recommend that people get it oh. and play it loud. And uh, Yeah, it's, play it definitely loud. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, this is not background music. This is uh, all your attention, and it's just really, really fun to listen to. And I, I'm so glad you came on, and I hope that you'll, uh, that you'll come back, because I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you. Oh, yeah. That's music from Brandon Seabrook and the Seabrook Power Plant album on Loyal Label. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com. 
the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. At thejazzsession.com, you'll find the Twitter feed, the Facebook group, the mailing list, a donate button, Amazon links to the music that you hear, all kinds of ways to stay in touch with the show and to help support the show and to hear even more from the artists who are featured on The Jazz Session. My thanks to the members of the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this program. You'll find them at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Thank you so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.